whenever you're ready. <laughs> All right, church, good morning. Come on, come on in, find your seats, get comfortable. We'll get started here in just a minute. As Troy said, thanks so much for joining us today. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Whether you've been here and you're part of our family or, or this is your first week, thanks so much for coming. Uh, my name's Matt Brocker. I'm the, the pastor who leads the, the, the Well, which is our college and career ministry. Uh, Troy and I were actually supposed to he was supposed to preach two weeks ago. I was supposed to preach last week when, when Jeff was doing his trip to Albania, and, and we kind of got bumped uh, when Brian Clark showed up. So that was a, a cool thing. So we both had already been studying, so we kept the, the schedule as is, and, and it turns out Jeff's under the weather. So be praying for Jeff uh, this morning. So we miss you, Jeff. I think he's watching from home. Um, just, just say a prayer for him. He'll be healed up and, and back at it uh, this week and, and ready to, to be up next week. Um, it, is, it is a privilege anytime I have this opportunity, so I've uh, been, been praying, been studying. I'm excited for what God has taught me. Um, I'm excited what God hit us with and, and showed us last week, you know, with Troy. You know, other than all of this constant Kansas City Chiefs talk, and <laughs> I mean, we're, we're excited for the guy. We love you, Troy. We're excited for you. I, I, I as a Browns fan, through, through much shame and... Through, mu through much shame and embarrassment, I was just thrilled last week to find out confirmation that the devil is a stealer. <laughs> Thank you, Troy. I, I, I had a feeling, and now I know. So that was fantastic for me. That's all I needed to know. I was, I was good after that. So um, We've been in the book of Numbers. We're going to be in the book of Numbers again this morning. Turn to chapter 21. We'll get rolling in a minute. Sorry for picking on you there, Troy. That was, it was just necessary. Uh, <clears throat> we're, we're following Israel as they're working their way through, slowly through the, the wilderness because of their disobedience and, and the things we've seen it time and time again. We're going to see some more of, of their disobedience. We're going to see some more of the, the consequences. But I started thinking about this long road. And, and one time, a few years back, I got crazy enough I was motivated enough. I ran a half marathon. I was going to say that I competed in a half marathon, but competed is, is a bit of a strong word. So I participated in, in a half marathon. And I can remember, man, I was so, I was so excited. The, there was a big energy. There was a lot of people running it. You start off, and it's this big old crowd of people. You can't even hardly walk, let alone run. And then and then you see a little avenue, and you, you, you start running past people to try to get out in the open, and you realize, man, I'm moving too fast, and I'm going to die <laughs> in a mile. So you taper it way back because that side stitch is saying, you weren't, you weren't built for that speed. So, so you slow it down, and you, and you make your way through, and you just keep going. And, and after a while, man, you get so thirsty. It's ridiculous how thirsty you get. And there's drink stations everywhere, but you didn't... You didn't want to look like one of those people that slow down to take a drink, so you're doing this <laughs> as you're running, and you might have gotten your tongue wet, so you go to the next drink station, and you're still, you're still dying. You're thirsty. It's awful. You just want to quit. And then they've got this, it's out on Black Snake Road in Dover, and you think, oh, this is nice, and then you've got to climb a hill to come back into town, and the hill's bad, and you're feeling sorry for yourself, and there's some dead, rotting carcass nearby, and you're like, oh, oh. 
You're, it's awful. You want to sign up for one, I know, after this. And, and you make it to the top of the hill, and there's 30-mile-an-hour gusts in your face. It's not going to send you home. It's, like, it, it's saying, just lay down, man. It's okay. Just, just give in. It's fine. You're just participating anyway. And, and then you, you get to the last mile, and you're starting to feel proud of yourself, but you can't feel your feet. <laughs> because somewhere, you're just, somehow you're just running on ankles. <laughs> and it's awful. And you're thinking, why did, why did I do this? And people are cheering for you, and I don't know you, shut up. <laughs> just leave me alone. And you hit the finish line, and he mispronounces your name, and it's awesome. <laughs> and they hand you a banana and a chocolate milk and your participation medal. <sighs> it was fantastic. I'll never do it again. <laughs> now I can say, with, with my medal, that I, I, I've been there and I've done that. And I started thinking, man, life is kind of like that thing, isn't it? You're running along, you kind of get ahead of things, and then something hits you in the side, and you're like, whoa, I think I need to slow down. I didn't listen to God on that one. I might listen now, and, and you're so thirsty sometimes. And you stop by the drink station, but all this world has to offer you barely wets your tongue. And it feels like you're just going forever and ever and ever, and you don't even know why half the time. And so you start complaining, and you start feeling sorry for yourself. And man, that uphill climb stinks, physically, literally. It's, it's, it's awful. It's hard. Man, life, life's a whole lot like that, and I think that's what Israel began to feel. Why are we even doing this anymore? They lost sight of the purpose. They lost sight of their hope, and man, that, that's where we find ourselves as well. So this morning, we're going to keep following Israel we're going to see another struggle. We're going to see the road has gotten long and it's gotten thirsty again. And, and they're going to complain. And, and let's not forget that they picture us, individual Christians, right? We, we do the same things. We're guilty. Because life really is that hard at times. And so they find themselves exhausted and thirsty and quickly find themselves, because of their poor, faithless attitude, they find themselves looking for salvation again, because they've gotten themselves in trouble because of their attitude, and, and that's what we've titled the message for this morning, is looking for salvation, so let's look, beginning in Numbers 21, we'll start with verse 4, read to verse 9, we'll pray, and then we'll get into our study sheet for this morning. Numbers 21, 4 says, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord, we have spoken against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, 
And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are your body. We need your mind. We need your spirit. We need you to communicate with us today. Because some of us have gotten really weary because the road is long and we've gotten really thirsty and, and we're trying all the wrong things. Would you speak to our hearts today? Would you move us in your direction? Would you show us exactly what we need as a church uh, to accept the road that you've provided for us and the salvation that we're looking for? Uh, we love you. We thank you for your word, for your guidance. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so there's, there's a common theme with Israel. Again, it's the common theme with us individual Christians. Bad things happen, bad attitudes follow, right? That's what we do over and over and over again, and we get ourselves in trouble, and we say we're sorry. It's like the book of Judges, right? It's just that cycle over and over and over. And so what we see first and foremost is the results of a faithless perspective. The results of a faithless perspective. If you've been alive for any amount of time, you know that life is not fair and life gets difficult with or without God, right? But man, isn't it so much better to have God on your side when life gets difficult? And so we need to, we need to try to depend on God and follow him. And, and sometimes we have that bad attitude and, and the, we do things hastily. We do things in our own plan and, and God says, okay, well, let's Let's stretch that road out a little bit. I need your attention here. And so what happens is often we get a difficult path, letter A. We get a difficult path because of our faithless perspective. It may have been difficult to begin with, but maybe God needs to give us something else. And so look at verse 4 again. It says, They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, to go around it. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. We talked about this issue of discouragement when we were in Joshua back in October. Uh, Joshua was told by God to have courage. To be discouraged is, is to have your courage removed. Whether it's by a, a person or an event or just your circumstances, it's the removal of courage. So let's turn back a page. Let's look at Numbers chapter 20. Right after what Troy taught last week, we see what happens that causes them to have to take this longer road. Verse 14 of Numbers chapter 20, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel. If you remember, Israel used to be Jacob, had his name changed. His brother's name was Esau, became Edom. He's the father of the Edomites, that whole nation. So it's interesting, you kind of have these, this conversation, looks like it's starting with a couple of people, and if you watch this, you end up seeing a sibling rivalry at the end. It's, it's just the two of them talking. Even though they're dead and gone, their, their rivalry has lived on. If you pick up and follow in the next verse, thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us, vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and hath brought us out or forth out of Egypt, and behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, 
neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway, a, a, a ready set path. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway. And if I and my cattle, see, we, and now we're talking I, it's just interesting. We will go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink of the water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border, wherefore Israel turned away from him. There's all kinds of details we can't get into. This is just showing you specifically, this is why they had to go around. If you know anything about the location, Edom is just south of Canaan, and it's way longer north to south than it is east to west. And so it's a long, difficult, unpaved road with no wells and water to drink. We're not going to drink your water, but if we do drink your water, we'll pay for it. They were going to drink the water, okay, right? That was, that was the point. Edom said, no, you, you're not coming this way. And so it's a difficult path. It, it, it went from difficult to, to more difficult. And if we're being honest, we're, when we're experiencing tribulation, when it goes from bad to worse, we think, now, why me? Why again? Why does this happen? I'm just so stinking thirsty. And it just keeps happening to me. Well, both Paul and Peter explained that as believers in Christ, we ought to expect some bumps in the road. And, he, and their perspective on it is, is that it's actually a good thing. Now, now that's a, a drastic difference from complaining, isn't it? To, to thanking the Lord. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Can I just skip from, you know, a little bit of tribulation to hope? Skip all the tribulation and all the difficulty and patience. I mean, come on, who really wants patience? It's part of the process. To get us to where he wants us to get. First Peter, Peter says in verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How many of you wake up on a bad day just joy unspeakable and full of glory? Not normally. The reason being, life is hard. But the real reason is in the next verse. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, maybe. Maybe we've lost track of what this is all about. I think that's the case. We seldom see our trials for what they are. They're what God leverages to make you and I more like his son. We're supposed to be interested in that. That is the goal. 
They're what God uses to fill us. Because when we're empty and we're going that long road, we, we look around us, we know nothing around me can fill me. I have to go to Christ. I have to go to his word. He uses those things to turn you back to him so that you can be filled. And instead of using or allowing God to use these difficulties for his purpose, we usually end up with what Israel had and letter B is a selfish perspective. Let's look at verse 5 again. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. So by now, we're anybody else tired of hearing them complain? Now I, I get the picture, but I'm tired of them complaining. If we look closely at their first question, it's very interesting. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Let me ask you a question. Is, is that what God's intention was originally? Did he intend to take them out of Egypt so they can wander and die? Whose fault? Is it God's fault? No, God had a plan that they stepped away from over and over and over again. God's intention is what we see in Exodus 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. God wanted a personal, close relationship with the nation of Israel, as he wants with you. It says, be the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land, concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. He says, I'm... I'm going to take you out of bondage to place you into promise and heritage. That's exactly what God has set us free from. If, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he has set you free from the bondage of your sin. And he didn't do that just so that you could wander around and be miserable the rest of your life. His intention is that you make it to the equivalent of Canaan, that you find victory, continual, consistent victory in your life. You won't find it looking at yourself. You won't find it with the wrong perspective. We lose sight of God's goals when our perspective turns inward. And it was only after Israel refused to go into the land that God promised them, because they lacked faith that God could deliver them, that he changed what was going to happen. Now, the nation of Israel, he still had every intention of putting them into the land of promise. It's just that generation that refused him, he said, okay, I, I refuse you right back. I'll give you what you want. You, you have it your way. You find satisfaction your way. And they live out their days in the wilderness. And even then, God wasn't, wasn't going to starve them to, to death. He wasn't going to allow them to, to be thirst, thirsted to death, if that's a word. He was just going to wait them out until the next generation came along and learned from their mistakes and changed something. Numbers 14, 35, I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Israel's complaints continue with, there's no bread, neither is there any water. Our soul loatheth this light bread. 
And the issue isn't specifically the long road. The issue isn't specifically the water or the bread or the manna that God was providing that wasn't what they wanted. That right there was the issue. God's provision of what they needed was not what they wanted. What God had promised was not enough. What God gave them that provided for them, that gave them everything they needed, did not please them. Have you ever found yourself there? I go to life group, but yeah, I don't know. It's not really for me. I read, but I don't, I don't really get anything out of the Bible, you know, this light bread. Be careful. The spiritual picture here is that we're never filled with what the world has to offer, but we keep going to it anyway. Because we don't have the faith to apply to what God has provided us to receive what we actually need. It's not just that you don't believe him. You don't want to believe him. Because you want to do what you want to do. And you want to do it when you want to do it. And we'll get to their prayer request in a little bit. This all reminds me of the woman at the well. We, we saw a little bit on her last week. John chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He's talking about the well water. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither, and the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith, said unto her, Thou hast said well, or well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. You know what he's saying? You've come to the well of men over and over and over, and they cannot fill you. It's not just this physical water. You're trying to fill yourself with relationships. Ladies, the perfect man is only Jesus Christ. The rest of us, this guy included, maybe more often than I should be admitting, we fall way short. We cannot fill you. Fellas, the ladies, you all married up if you got married. She cannot fill you. She will not fill you. Children are not capable of filling you. They take. That's what they do. I love them. I wouldn't trade them. But the payout isn't happening right now. It'll take a while. You, you think, you know, I don't, I don't have a wife, I don't have a husband, I got a dog at home and he loves me and every time he com I come home he's so excited to see me and he fills me up and then I realize... I just peed on the floor again, and now I'm drained. Because he can't fill you either. And your hobbies can't fill you. And, and your pastimes, if they filled you, Dick's Sporting Goods would be out of business. You need the next better, bigger gun. Ammo. Golf club. Baseball glove. Whatever you need, if you were satisfied by that thing... You would buy one and you would be done. It cannot fill you. 
There's nothing wrong with those things unless you're looking for them to fill you. You're the woman at the well. Anytime you find yourself with an unsatisfied attitude, loathing what God has provided you, you can, expert, you can certainly expect what we see in letter C is a, a swift punishment. Now, God's not going to punish you every single time, but Israel has accumulated complaints. And so a swift punishment was necessary. How many times, just curious, parenting advice here, I'm asking, how many times should my son punch his sister before he doesn't get a warning? Well, son, I'm really disappointed you did that again. Let's go have a talk. No, you know you're not supposed to do that. Why do you keep doing that? Let's go. It's time. Look at verse 6 again. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Back when my son was four, this is a good story, when I was picking him up, he was four years old, they were like in the four and five-year-old class, I usually, you know, ask how he's doing, is he behaving, all that kind of stuff. He comes out, he's all excited, he didn't even ask to eat his Smarties, he was just like, Dad, you're never going to believe what we learned. What, what's that, bud? If you have a bad attitude and you complain a lot... God will send snakes to bite you. (laughs) I was like, whoa. Check that attitude, man. A four-year-old gets it. You got the message? He's like, yeah, and that's why we say at the house, buddy, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Now, that doesn't mean there's no fits at the Brocker household. I mean, it happens. But what a fit gets you is a swift punishment. This is another occasion of a growing list of continual dissatisfaction with God and his plan for their lives. They have been impatient, discontent, unbelieving, immature, and flat-out rebellious. And God says, that's enough. Back in Numbers 14, after spying out the promised land, they're coming back with discouragement for the rest of the people. God responds in verse 22 saying, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened unto my voice. And then he goes on and says, this generation is going to die in the wilderness. I'll move on with your children. They'll believe me. They had all the proof. They had all the evidence. God was there every step of the way. Every time they were hungry, miracle. Every time they were thirsty, miracle. Their their complaints were legitimate. They didn't have those things. We saw that last week. But their attitude was selfish every time. And God had had enough. We don't have time for it, but in number 16, it'll pop up here on the, the screen. God comes to Moses, he says, get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them. Quite had enough, Moses. And and Moses and Aaron fall on their faces, they pray for the people, a bunch of them die, but the plague that God sends out is stayed, or it stops. Moses intervened again. You know what's different about today's message, today's passage in, in chapter 21? God doesn't give Moses any idea that he's about to throw snakes at the crowd. He, he just does it. He doesn't confront Moses. 
It's like, uh, what's, uh, what's that nutty lady? Oprah Winfrey. The Christmas special. You get a car, and you get a car. Everybody get, you know, and they're all going crazy, and God's like, you get a serpent. And you get a serpent, and everybody gets a snake bite for your bad attitudes. And Oprah's in the corner, oh, you know. It's, it's the stuff nightmares are made of, man. Everybody's getting fiery poisonous serpents biting them, and they're dying, and, and Oprah's cheering, and what in the world is happening here? This is, this is frightening. I wonder if God skipped out on talking to Moses because the crowd skipped out on talking to Moses too. See, they didn't go to the usual complaint department. They just went to one another and said, you know, this guy, this stinking Moses, man. All the time leaving us thirsty. God, is God even real? And so God skips the complaint department or, or the, the intervention department, which is the role that Moses played every single time. And he just starts handing out fiery serpents. I wonder what your life and my life looks like from God's perspective. What's the count up to? That scares me a little bit. Is he, is he done warning my leadership on my behalf? That's scary. That ought to be scary. This time they, they went to Moses afterwards and said, hey, we, we've been complaining. And uh, we're getting bit and dying. And can, you, can you step in here again, please? The damage is done. The sin's been committed. What, what should they do now? The second half of the passage is they get rescued by a faithful Savior. And he always comes through. They get rescued by a faithful Savior. But, but first, before we get to that part, we have what, what I'm calling a misguided prayer. Now, they're praying to the right guy. They're asking God for help. That's good. Let's read verse 7 again. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord we, and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. You can, you can really learn a lot from the specific words that, that are in the Scripture. And you can learn a lot from what's missing. What's missing here is a warning. We saw that. There's no explanation. There's just snakes. Yet somehow, somehow the people knew it was their sin of complaining again that sent the snakes. I mean, if you're just out in the wilderness and you're picking up your man and all of a sudden, you know, the snakes latched onto you, you fall over dead, man, that was, that was a bad day. No, they knew. They knew it was their fault. They knew it was their sin. They knew their complaining, their murmuring, their wickedness had brought judgment. And so they go right to Moses, and they explain what they did. It's, it's, it's like Jonah, right, when he's running from God, and he's on the ship, and the storm's there, and, and he says, hey, guys, you know, it's, this is my fault. You're going to have to throw me over the boat. And they try to, try to rescue the ship, and it's getting worse, and they end up having to throw that guy over. He knew God was after him. He knew it was his fault. And some of us need to ask ourselves what it's going to take to finally be honest about what we already know to be true. Our attitude is not okay. And God has been seeking after us to adjust it, and we keep refusing. One other thing that's not there is repentance. 
They admit to their sins. They say, yeah, we did that. It's interesting when, when someone's caught in a sin, what, what do they do? They admit that sin and that sin only. That's, that's all I did, though. There's a whole list of things that they've done, and, and God knows all that. But I'm only going to admit what I got caught in. And Yeah, yeah, we sinned. There's no repentance. The word repent means to turn. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is an awesome passage. If you're dealing with forgiveness, needing forgiveness, needing to figure out how to offer forgiveness, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11 says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. Basically what Paul is saying, man, I felt sorry when I sent that thing out, but now seeing the results, I, I guess it was the right thing to do. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, you turned, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing, because you corrected your path with the Lord. There's no damage to be had. There's forgiveness. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. You turn to God, you don't have to turn again. Don't turn again. That's what he's saying. You don't have to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, yea, what revenge. Seven things that godly sorrow works in your heart to make sure that you turn around. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Man, what a that's what we need in repentance. That's the reason for godly sorrow. Godly sorrow causes you to turn. Worldly sorrow wants the consequences to go away. Did you notice what Israel asked? Make, make the serpents go away. Ask God to take the serpents away. Godly sorrow leads you to submit to God. Worldly sorrow leads you to feel sorry for yourself and your circumstances. Godly sorrow seeks what you can do to make things right. Worldly sorrow seeks what you can do to get things to be the way they were before you sinned. How can I get the inconvenient consequences of my sin to go away and still keep living for myself? If you have kids and you've caught them in a lie, they just want the punishment over. They just want it to be, to be done. I don't, want, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want, to, I want, want the punishment. I want my electronics back, Dad. You've got to pay for your sins until we are reconciled. There's consequences. They just want that to go away. Paul tells Timothy about people departing from the faith who have had their consciences seared with a hot iron. The nerve endings are destroyed. They cannot feel anything or they only feel pain. So they cannot respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, quench not the Spirit. The woman at the well was looking for Mr. Wright to quench her thirst. And the warning is this, be careful what you seek to quench the thirst of your life because you may end up quenching the Spirit with that very thing. You're thirsty. Only Christ can fill that. Only Christ can satisfy that. 
You keep taking in what the world offers, and you won't be able to hear what he's leading you to. You won't be able to see what he's trying to get you to avoid. First Samuel, the prophet Samuel puts it this way. He said unto the people in chapter 12, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Today is the day that you change, if you've got sin in your life. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things. Vain means empty, which cannot profit nor, de- nor deliver, for they are vain. So picture this woman at the well. She brings her bucket up. It's empty, yet she, she gets her little ladle and she's drinking air. Mmm, delicious. That's stupid, right? That's what God is saying. Ah, Glad I'm in the golf league. So fulfilling. Nothing wrong with the golf league. It's not fulfilling. I got my dream wife. Got my dream boyfriend. Life is going to be happily ever after. Not if that's your source. Because it's empty. It's vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Samuel knew, and this is frustrating leading leading these individuals that they just keep turning back to themselves. This is what Moses must have experienced, but, but it would be a sin for me to stop caring. He must have watched that uh, Mandalorian. He, he says, this is the way. Some of you haven't seen that, but. This is the good and right way. I'm going to continue on this path because this is the path the Lord is walking. And this is the path the Lord has for me. After his prayer, we see that God has answered. God provides salvation from the serpents. And and letter B, we'll finish with this. There's Obviously, you see a lot of verses on there. This shouldn't take too long. But a salvation picture. This is a salvation picture. It's literal salvation for those who've been bitten. But it's a picture for us in, in the salvation that we need. Look at verse 8 one more time. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. He's offering a way out. Have you, have you ever heard that God answers every single prayer? He, he answers yes, or he answers no, or he, he says not yet. Have you heard that? I think there's a fourth option. And, and this is what Israel got. The answer is, eh, not quite. You, you ask for the serpents to go away, and he says, Moses, make another serpent. Let, let's do this my way. He doesn't answer their prayer exactly. He doesn't give them what they asked for. He gives them what they needed. They asked him to remove the serpents, and and he has another one fashioned, and we haven't touched on this, but the reason these are fiery serpents, to begin with, is that fire in the Bible is is a connection directly to judgment. When you see fire, most often there's some sort of judgment connected. This is God's judgment on their sin of faithlessness and rebellion. And when they look upon the serpent on a pole, the poison somehow, miraculously, is nullified, and they're healed. The judgment seems to to transfer from them to this pole. 
the serpent on a pole. Look at verse 9 again. And Moses made a serpent of brass. He put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Brass, like fire, is, is also a connection to judgment. We were looking at the, the outer court of the tabernacle. There's two main pieces of furniture there. Both of them are covered in brass. The Bible calls it brazen. There's a, a brazen altar for sacrifices. The picture is this. If you're going to enter into a relationship with Christ, with, the, with God, you're going to do it through a sacrifice that judges your sin. Because what's going to be sacrificed is a spotless lamb. We'll get to that picture in a minute. You can't get in without going through the brazen altar. You can't get into a relationship with God without going through the sacrifice and judgment of your sin. And the other piece of furniture is what's called a brazen laver. It's a, it's a wash basin. And, and it's said that it was polished so, so much that you could almost see your clear reflection in, in the bottom of it. And so what they would do, the, the priests would have to wash their hands because they're dealing with the sacrifice and wash their feet because they're walking around in the dirt. And the picture is this, when, when you get blood on your hands, before you go in to sup with the Lord, you better go wash them off. It's sin. You've got to get that off of you. You've got to deal with it. You've got to judge that yourself. And, and when you're walking around in this world, what do you get on you? You get a lot of dirt on your feet. Just being around it. You've got to wash that off. And how do you wash it off? You wash by the water of the word. And you look in the mirror of God's word and you judge yourself. That's what communion is all about. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. But let a man examine himself. This book is how you do that. What does God say is true about you? Not what, what you feel is true about you. What does God say? Let a man examine himself and so let him eat bread, eat that bread and drink of that cup. Judge yourself first. Verse 31, he says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Go in to talk with God and sup with God and hang with God with, with filthy hands and filthy feet. You don't even care what your life is like. You think God's winking at that. That's eh, no big deal. I've already forgiven him. Yes, he has. But he expects you to judge yourself according to his word on a regular basis to clean your life. That's why it was made of brass. It's judgment. This whole snake on a pole thing is just a cool, weird story until Jesus references it in John chapter 3 when he's talking to a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Look at verse 11. It says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He's just told him about being born again, the spiritual birth. And John's confused, and so Jesus is explaining further. Verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to, the, up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. He's talking about himself, about Christ. And here's the verse, 14. And, Mo, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, the physical picture of what was happening to them on that day is a spiritual truth for you and I. 
Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Just like Israel had to look to the serpent on the pole for salvation, we must look to Jesus on the cross for our salvation. They beheld a serpent, we are to behold our Savior. John the Baptist, when he saw Christ, he says to the disciples, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. At the end of his life, Christ is tortured and beaten. In John 19, verse 5, Pilate says, Behold the man. But he wasn't just a man, was he? So a few verses later, Pilate says, to mock the Jews and their disbelief, Behold your king. He's not just a man, he's the king. And Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, where the king sits. So maybe you're saying, I, I, I see the similarities, I, I, I get they looked at a snake, we look at Jesus, but, but why a snake? Right? Isn't, isn't it true that from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, anytime you see a serpent, it has something to do with sin, it has something to do with Satan, you're correct. It absolutely does. We see the, we see the connection in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and we don't want to do what, what Moses did last week, we saw he messed the picture up. Don't, don't miss the picture. Paul says, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The reason it's a serpent on a pole is that Christ took our sins upon himself. And with that, he took our judgment. It says he made him to be sin for us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Obviously the cross is made of wood. That's the tree. And Christ hung on that cross to become sin and to be made a curse on our behalf. He did that for us. That's the reason it's a serpent. And I gotta be, we, we should stand in awe and amazement of God when he can, he can take something that started in the garden with a serpent and a tree and the poison and flaming results of our sin and he can turn all of that thing into our very hope of salvation. See, Satan thought he had one over on God, and God said, just give me a minute. I'll put this whole thing right back in your face, and they'll worship me for it, as he deserves. As he deserves. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and you've never looked to Jesus to take your sins and to save you. It, it really is quite simple. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, remember, behold your king, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, 
thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The way that we look to the Savior is by placing our faith in him and calling out to his name. Chapter 10, verse 13 of Romans also says, Whosoever, you can, anybody's name fits in there, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. God has not offered to take away all consequences of everything you've ever done. Life has consequences, good and bad. He has offered to take your sin punishment of eternal damnation and separation from him away from you. He's offering to save you. But there's only one solution. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. He didn't say one of the ways. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, God, I, I, I want to go to heaven, but... I just believe that I can get there by being a good person. Will you just take away the serpents? I can't do that. There's, there's only one way. There's only one Savior. There's only one truth. There's only one life, and it's found through him. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's, there is no other way. This is the only way. If you're here today, and again, you've never looked to Christ to save you from the poison of your sinfulness, would you do that today? Would you make that decision? There's, there's no reason to wait. He has made the provision that, that you and I need. All you have to do is accept it. Your condition is eternally fatal. And nothing else in this life can, can save you. And nothing else in this life will quench your thirst. For those of us that have already done that, this brass serpent shows up one other time in scripture. It's an interesting cross-reference. And it's talking about King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18. He's just become king, and it says in verse 3 that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He was a good king. According to all that his, David, his father, did, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the, bro the groves. These were all things that all of the pagan nations around them were doing to worship false gods. Israel had adopted these things. They were worshiping false gods, and, and Hezekiah came in and he said, no, 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 this is not what David taught us to do. This is not what God would have us do, worship other gods and give them credit for what only he can do. And he came in and he tore those things down. And check out what else he did. He broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Oh, that's, that's sacrilege. That's, that's got to be some sort of importance to God, right? For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense unto it. And he called it Nehushtan, which means a mere piece of brass. It means nothing 
You, you got to understand, Christ isn't on the cross anymore. You are. And I am. He says, if you're going to be my disciples, you take up your cross daily and come after me. You don't get to worship him and use him as a genie on the cross. That's not how this works. The road is tough. And he's still king on the throne. The road does get difficult, and you do get thirsty. Quit turning to this world and turn to him. Smash the idol and turn to the king. He's the only one that can fill us. We need to recognize that that Jesus isn't on the the cross anymore. He's in heaven, on the throne, seated beside the Father, where he belongs. And it's time to give him the honor and glory that he deserves in my life. By accepting the road he's given me and allowing him to make me look more like him in the process. If you found yourself on a difficult road and you've begun feeling sorry for yourself, the answer is to take up our cross. To die to self and to look to Jesus for salvation and to quench that thirst. Worship team's going to come up and we're going to pray in just a minute. If you have not looked to Jesus for your salvation, make today the day. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. <clears throat> Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful that you did understand all of this stuff. What we needed, what we wanted, what we needed in spite of what we wanted. And you made a way. I'm thankful that you made it obvious to me and I chose you as my king and you gave me salvation in return. I pray for anybody in this room today that they would understand that if they haven't done that, there's no time to waste. We're running out of complaints. We're running out of opportunities. And you're waiting for us. So I pray that we would stop turning to vain things, that we would turn to you, that that you would receive the glory from our lives, that the difficult road would just raise your name even higher for everyone else to see. You are my solution and my satisfaction, and everybody needs to see it. Lord, I pray that that today this message would move in our hearts and, and that it would move our feet in your direction. We pray these things in Christ's name.